Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have Dr. Joshua Black on the show. Josh is a researcher in grief dreams with a special focus on dreams of the deceased. Josh is one of the leading researchers in this field. In his research, Dr. Black examines why some bereaved individuals dream with the dis- dream of the deceased while others do not. The experience of people's grief dreams and how grief dreams help with the grief recovery. Welcome to the show, Josh. A while back, I had asked for your support through Patreon, and I'm so grateful for those who reached out and supported me, but I do need a bit more help. So I've been doing my podcast for about two and a half years now. I have probably upwards of 100 guests that I still want to get in touch with or people who've gotten in touch with me to be on the podcast. And so I'm asking for a little bit more of your help. If you could please go to patreon.com backslash Dr. Amy Robbins. There's uh, my page there, which describes the different levels of contribution. You can contribute at $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month, $1 a month, 50 cents a month. It does not matter to me. 50 cents. Just every little bit helps me to continue to produce the amazing content that I am so committed to bringing you all every single week. And so if you could please just go take a look at that and contribute where you feel comfortable, I would very, very much appreciate that. And you're going to hear another podcast that's going to go into more depth later this month in my Q&A podcast about uh, why I'm asking for this. And there's also a Q&A connected to that. So don't just ignore that podcast. Anyway, also would love for you to subscribe to my newsletter at dramyrobbins.com. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe so every podcast that you get, you see. 
Thank you all so much for your continued support of the podcast. And now here's today's episode. Thank you for having me and getting to learn this new platform. (laughs) So we are going to talk for about a half hour, 35 minutes, just on grief dreams. Uh, And then we will open it up if anybody has any questions for you. Uh, I don't. Oh, there you are. You are on the stage with me. Um, So can we start a little bit by you telling us about your story, how you got involved in this research, because it was really through your own experiences. Well, you just nailed it. So <laughs> it was, they said, it wasn't by choice. When I was in my undergrad, I actually wanted to be an elementary school teacher. That was my goal. So I didn't really care too much for stats and research methodology. I wasn't trying to be a researcher. And then in my, really my fourth year, what was interesting was, so my dad died and I wasn't expecting it at that time. Well, I don't know when people are, but I definitely wasn't, it wasn't even on my consciousness. And it completely broke me for like, I never, that pain that I had when I got the call that he died in his, in his home was just devastating for me. And I just started crying like uncontrollably. And I just kept saying, how is this even possible? Like, how is this? Like, he was supposed to pick me up for a hockey game. And he just never showed up. And like, I never thought of this. And then I tried to think about all the moments that we had together because I wasn't going to get anything new. It was so devastating. And it was really after that funeral, I did the eulogy. What happened was all the life just came out of me. Like it was just like this blase world and didn't have any joy or nothing. And I was just going back to school like like I needed to to get those grades and to try to do something with my life. But I just had no no life in me is the best way to put it. And then what happened? I had this I wasn't asking for a dream. I didn't even knew it was a possibility to even get a dream, really. It wasn't on my consciousness that that could happen. But I had a dream, and the dream changed me from the inside. And it, I still sit in the mystery of it today, and I'll tell you the dream. So I was in my bed, so I was sleeping. But I was in my room, and I could see my, my father at the end of my, my room looking through some of my stuff. And he had this, like, lightness to him. And in waking life, like before he died, he was very heavy. He had a lot of trauma. He had he had a poor ability to cope with his emotions. He used alcohol a lot. And so I never saw him like light. And he was he was looking healthy and just like light. And I I was so shocked to see him. But I went up to him and I said, I'm going to miss you, acknowledging the loss. And I said, I love you. And we embraced and hugged and, and I woke up. And when I woke up, something changed. Like what whatever was I was trying to deal with or work through in that dream, it corrected something or helped me work through something because I woke up feeling completely different. And it wasn't that I put an interpretation on the dream. I just had the dream. And I was like, what was that? And how, like, how am I feeling better? Like, how am I feeling so different? Cause I just had three months where I was just like in this weird state. I still don't fully understand it to tell you the truth, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it changed my way of dealing with my grief. And so I was able to have joy again, but I was also able to cry and have the the sadness. And when I look back on the dream and trying to figure out, okay, what was it that I was doing? um, I sort of see that first, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him. And that was a big thing for me since he died so suddenly. And the other thing was to tell him I loved him. And looking back, I realized, first of all, I wouldn't have known that that's what I was longing to do. 
But looking back, the last time I really said those words was probably when I was a kid. Even though we like hung out and talked as good males, we never really shared those kinds of emotions together. So I learned a lot about grief, but also like the importance of expressing our love to each other and how that can be um, impactful in our, in our grief journey. So I had that dream and I didn't tell anything, anyone about it. And I went, finished school and then I got into teacher's college and you know what? It didn't feel right. So I didn't decide to go through with it. And so what did I, what was I going to do? I didn't know. All I knew that wasn't a path for me anymore. And I think one of the reasons for that was my dad always wanted me to do that. And so I feel a part of me was doing it to please him. But now that he was dead, it's like, well, this doesn't feel right. I don't have that pressure. So I just, you know, really try to figure out what I could do. And I was having a hard time finding direction. And so I went to volunteer with the bereaved as I tried to figure out my next career move. And this was when life changed because I had the dream, didn't tell anyone, and I just carried forward. But when I went and, you know, helped individuals in group and also one-on-one, they kept bringing up these dreams in a lot of different ways. And they had a lot of different questions that I never had. So like, why am I having negative dreams of the deceased? How come I don't have dreams? And like, you know, or they just wanted to share their dreams and the, the complications that were happening because of some of the questions that they were asking was, was hard for me to hear. And I wanted to see what I could find for them through research. And when I looked at, I still have my account, so I could look at, you know, like the, uh, <laughs> the articles that's available. And there wasn't anything there that give them any answers that they were seeking. And so that's when I had this sort of moment where it's like, well, could I help? Or like, could I actually do this? And I said, like, I never want to be, to do anything with research. So it's like, first of all, could I? The answer is probably yes. Am I capable of it? Which is, I don't know. <laughs> then, right. Will you want to try and see? And then I said, yes. And so it's just now after I got the courage to face those fears and to try to um, become a researcher, I guess, then it was trying to find, you know, where could you even do this work? Because if it's not really been looked at, well, you need a prof to really support you in that work. And if they're not researching it themselves, you have a you know good luck trying to get someone to say yes. But what was, what was so interesting is when I moved from, I was at Brock University at the time, and they weren't talking about dreams at all. But when I, I went to um, Oshawa, where they had Trent University, and there was a dream researcher there. And so where I was living, it just worked out that way, where there was this person who's studying dreams. And there's only like a few in Canada, I found out. And there's only really like a handful in the world. So to have someone so close, it was just like, like, you know, like, what is this? Like, like this is a nice coincidence or just a nice pathway that's just laid in front of me. Mm-hmm. And so when I talked to her, she was excited to do this, even though she didn't study that, those types of dreams, she was willing to see where it led. And so when, it, when I went in that program, that's when I really realized how, how much is needed in this area and how much, many different biases and how much confusion, um, occurs within this area that I didn't know before. So that's when I really realized why this research is fully needed, not only because of those people I, I talked to for bereavement support, but just in the world. I realized the huge impact this actually this topic does have. And then I couldn't do everything I needed to um, to answer those questions in my master's. And so I had to do a PhD, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, so. that's a long road, huh? No, I wouldn't want to do it again, and I don't recommend anyone else doing it. <laughs> so, can you t- can you start by walking us through what exactly, like how you you how you define grief dreams? Like, what makes that up? 
So a lot of times when we think of grief dreams, a lot of people just put it right on the dreams of the deceased because that's what people really love. And that's where a lot of people get the impact, but it's actually a much larger topic. And that's what I was trying to say. It's just like, it's, it's more vast. So and it's so not just these, that like experience like you had, it goes much deeper than no, that. No, it it's so complex. There's so many issues and there's the interpretations that go on, on top of it, but to just make it easy, there's three, I would say there's three forms of grief dreams after the loss, after you know of the loss. And so dreaming of the cease is the one. But there's also these dreams that are very symbolic of the loss. So this could be the emotions you're dealing with. So this is like maybe you're walking by a mountain and the mountain collapses on you. And it really showcases sort of the heaviness of waking life and what you're dealing with. Then you have these dreams where the deceased isn't a part of the imagery, but they're in a place that reminds them of the imagery or the, the person. So that could be the hospital they died at or, you know, the tombstone or something. Or it could be characters in the dream refer to them in some way. So it could be I've seen God or even angels talk about the deceased. Uh, other characters in the dream talk about the deceased in some way. And then when you go, so that's after loss, but there are these dreams prior to loss, prior to the knowledge of their loss that also occur. So these anticipatory grief dreams that are very similar where um, reflects your waking life struggles, um, but had deceased in the imagery or uh, just like without being in the imagery. And, but there's also these dreams where, which is really interesting, where people have a, a dream of the person and it looks very similar to what you would have afterwards if, when, the per, when you know the person is dead. So they're saying goodbye or they're telling that they're okay or that they love you. So they wake up not knowing the person's dead. Then they call and the person actually died in the night or died the day before. And that always allows me to sit in that mystery of life that there is this connection between us in some way where our heart knows when someone has died. And I guess, you know, mothers, I hear this with mothers, they know like when their kid's not well or something, mm -hmm. they call and they just know. And so there's something I think with, with humans that, you know, goes beyond, you know, just what we typically know of communication. And so like, that is always interesting. I've seen that so many times. It's probably, it's more rare, of course, but for that to happen, sometimes a person realizes like the individual is sick and maybe in a hospice or just not doing well in general, but sometimes they don't even know and they'll, they'll have these dreams. And then there's these other dreams. Oh, I should just mention there's these other dreams too, where you may not even know the person and the, you get a stream of the individual that has a message for someone else. And I think those are fascinating also. Well, that was my experience as you know, mm -hmm. by listening, but that's sort of my question is how you've differentiated dreams from kind of this notion of just expanded consciousness or, you know, Raymond Moody has researched shared death experiences where people sometimes have that, where they feel like they're walking the person to their death, but they might be in sort of what's considered a dream state or sleeping. Um, so have you looked at the research and differentiated those pieces? You, you can't differentiate them. So like when people talk about the subject, this is the importance of, I think, just the research in general and just like the experience I've learned is that people will determine what that dream means for them. So I've seen a lot of people have these quote unquote moments, visitations, or just like big bonds, the dreams vivid, more one-on-one, -on -one, that kind of thing. And they'll say, oh, that's a, you know, that's a visit from the person. Okay. Then I've seen other people who have the deceased in the background. It's a crazy dream and they still call it a visitation. Okay. Then I've seen people who 
so a lot of people also will say, um, but people who don't believe that their dreams of visitation will still have dreams where the person is very close, they're very vivid and very real. And there's this love present. So I think it just like, it really depends on the, the interpretation of the dream more so than anything else. And I say that like, it could be that everyone's having these visitations and only certain people are calling it or other people just maybe they're not visitations at all. And they're all having a similar experience. We don't know. And I think that's the mystery of it all. They do, they are different than normal dreams, but if they're in a way, if they're any experience in a sleeping state would be called a dream. That's just by definition, how you interpret that that's based on the dreamer. And that so there's so many ranges of that. And then people will say, will claim that they know when a visitation, like an outsider will say, oh, this is a visitation. Well, I've heard so many things of people even having negative dreams of the deceased, calling that a visitation, and, or, and it becomes more of a haunting. And so it's very complex when you start you know, labeling dreams from an outsider. I always ask the individual their thoughts on the dream, and if it's hindering them in any way, I'll step in with maybe some information, maybe help guide them to release some of that distress and understand maybe where some blocks are. Because even positive dreams can be very distressing for people based on their ideas of what the dream is. So just for example, some Buddhists believe that after two years, the soul needs to be reincarnated. If not, it can actually harm the individual, the soul of the individual. And so any positive dream that the individual has, that's a negative distressing sign for them because the, the uh, based on the religious belief, yeah. Right? Other Christian, like, and then, but once again, there are other people in that culture and that religion who don't think that. And same thing with Christians. Some Christians believe that it's a devil in disguise. Other people say it's, it's a visitation. So it's like, we really have to understand where people are before we start labeling the dreams for them. And that's why it's always good to take a step back and sort of see what the concerns are first and what their religious and cultural beliefs are. Oh, I have so many questions. Okay, the first question is, so you you said that the the positive and negative, and there's a sense, I think you spoke in one of your papers about how dreams in general tend to be more negative, which I never really thought about, but actually is quite true, given the anxiety dream I had the other night about getting my kids ready for sleepaway camp. Um, you know, when you wake up, your heart's racing, you're like, oh my God, there's so much I have to do. But why do grief dreams tend to have, for the most part, a more positive, and I'm just thinking of my own grief dreams, like Mm -hmm. a more positive bent to them? You know, when I started researching them, I never thought that was going to be the case. So I went in, as you said, normal dreams in general tend to be negative, but after trauma, they're even more negative and more consistently negative. So you would think after grief, which is, can be very traumatic or even just a little less, most of the dreams people would have should be negative. But when the deceased is in the imagery, for some reason, they tend to be more positive. And this is what we found just through the research and not by, by a lot. And so just after like, cause I did, you know, research on spousal loss, pet loss, and even, you know, miscarriages, and you see this trend and there's a couple theories to that, that we've sort of brought forth. And the one is that they're helping people with continuing bonds which just shown in the research, and even I've done some research on that, on the positive impact that that can have for people as they work through their grief. And so this is another aspect that can help, but also can help regulate our emotions, which is something that is desperately needed, even for our survival. So when you look at these dreams, just in an evolutionary way, and why they're important, 
if you start seeing how they're helping people maintain their faith in a lot of ways, helping people problem solve, helping people with many different aspects of life, and even getting the positive feelings from that to then collect food or to even just problem solve their grief. Or to well, you, start researching grief dreams. That, that's right, right? <laughs> Normalize them. At the end of the day, you realize that it's actually beneficial for our survival. And that's what I see more than anything, that it's helping us out in times where we need help. And it doesn't, and it doesn't stop after you work through your grief. This is the fascinating thing that I find is that in other areas of conflict in your life, you'll tend to also have these dreams of the deceased not providing you grief support from the past, providing you support for the current circumstances you're in. And this is where the pandemic comes in. And I've collected some dreams on that, on how these dreams are helping, helping people with the loneliness, helping people problem solve or feel safe during the pandemic. Because their loved people, ones that they've lost are coming to them in, in dreams and... Yeah, asking how they're doing, spending time with them. And when you talk to the individuals, they'll state on how important that was for them in the current situation to feel safe or to regulate their emotions because they were so anxious or worried. Now they get this like breath where almost like you'd say you you can look at the situation differently to problem solve, right? And to sort of do what you need to do. And even with, then you go move forward and at end of life, you start seeing these dreams again and they're helping people with the transition from life to death, they're allowing people to let go a little easier. And I think, so when you start looking at the vastness of how these even dreams change over time, it doesn't make sense with typical dreams. So there's something else going on here, which for me as just a researcher is very interesting. And I just like wish more people would understand that we just need more research in this area because it is really remarkable in how it actually helps us to become, to not only work through the stuff, but to be resilient, we keep telling them how humans are resilient, how kids are resilient, but you know they're also having these dreams that are helping them and no one's sharing them and no one's asking about them. So I think, you know, when we look at how people, mental health and the people that, you know, how people make it through, these dreams could be a, a huge part of that. Well, one of the things that I find fascinating, and I'm curious how you make sense of this, is that in my experience, which I have felt very... So I had a grief dream after my aunt passed away where she showed up and was very clear. It was one of those experiences where she said, I'm doing okay. She looked healthy. She just looked great. I mean, I remember she was on a golf course. She was wearing a red sweater, right? I, I, could, yeah. I could draw the dream out for you. And then the second experience, which is what has led me down this path of everything that you can listen to on my podcast, uh, was to me felt very different, like a visitation with messages that I would not have known, but for her sharing them with me and then me sharing them with the person and then being validated. The difference to me that's fascinating is that those experiences are as clear today as they were the minute I woke up or, but a dream don't even, all I know is the other night I had a dream where I woke up anxious about my kids going to summer camp. I don't remember the amalgamation of what that dream was like. And so what do you make of that, that the way our mind stores these different, these different dreams? Because they're so well, different to me. Yeah, and I think the ones that probably help us are the ones we remember the most. Like the ones we find meaning in are the ones that we're going to remember. 
And it could be a meaning from interpreting the dream, but even just the meaning of having the dream itself. And that changes something in us. Like the first one of my dad, right? Like it changed me from the inside. Nothing is more vivid in that dream at all the other dreams I've had of them. But then you also look at, it's not just positive dreams. People are remembering these negative dreams also. So these dreams of the deceased dying again or the, or harming them in some way. And so that's why some people will also take those as visitations too, because they're being remembered. They're very vivid. They're clear. They're, they feel different from other dreams they've had. And that's why it's like you really need to understand discernment when looking at these dreams. But something is going on. And the best way to understand it is to be able to catch these dreams in a sleep lab. But the issue is you can't control these dreams. They happen when they happen. And that is like trying to, you know, to needle in the haystack. But, you know, as we move forward with technology, if we can, you know, have some kind of home device that allows us to be able to see these dreams a little more clearly what's going on in the mind, I think we'll be able to understand them more of what's going on and when they are those very beautiful, powerful dreams that change us like mine what's going on in the mind because for me something changed in me beyond interpretation so there's something at the core of my being that changed if we can harness whatever that is then maybe we can help more people in waking life Mm -hmm. well then i think that could open up a whole question of like how we use psychedelics to access those different pieces of the mind or to access so that's the thing like once the, that, that's right it opens up a, a world of new information on trying to help us through very difficult circumstances a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So what is, is there any way to set an intention around having these dreams? I know that there are often people who will say, like, I never had that dream of my so-and-so, right? They want, they want to dream of their dad or their mom or their spouse or their child, and that never happens for them. And then they in some way feel disappointed or let down by that. It's true, and it's one of those reasons why a lot of people don't talk about these dreams in groups any kind of group support because there's going to be one or two that won't have had this experience and will get jealous. And I feel for them because they want this dream very bad. And that was one of the, and they put a, and it's not only that they want the dream, but that they tend to make their grief harder, more complicated with the reasoning behind it. So they'll say that the person doesn't love them anymore and that's why they didn't come to them or that they're angry at them for having to sell the house or something, or maybe they didn't cross over. And so there's a lot of, you know, complications that can happen. And so that's why I actually went and one of the reasons I wanted to do the, the research was to try to see if there was a scientific explanation for why people aren't remembering some of these dreams. And so there is. And so I, it was great because I was able to replicate the research, which is important in any kind of scientific experiment. And so what I found was dream recall, general dream recall is the major predictor in that. So 
what it's saying is the more people remember dreams in general, the more likely they're going to remember one of these types of dreams. So what is feasibly possible is that people are having more dreams of the deceased than they're actually remembering. And then that is just very interesting in itself. So why does the mind remember some dreams over others? And there are ways to you know, increase um, our, our dream recall. But usually that in itself will help the individual because the tons of people that have come to me and said, I want to have a dream and why haven't I? I always ask them about their dream recall. And lo and behold, most of the people will say, I don't remember dreams that often. And I say, well, what are the chances of you remembering one of these types? And you just see this weight, like just release off their shoulder. And you're like, oh, you're right. And it's just connecting those dots for people. And it's important to know too, 10% of the population doesn't remember their dreams in general. So like there's going to be 10% of the people after loss that won't, that just don't remember their dreams. So they're never going to be able to remember one of these types of dreams. And so it's just understanding that. And this is the, the variations of, of just our, our dreaming behavior, but there are ways to increase it by valuing it. You know, say setting an attention. I didn't research that myself. I'm like, if someone set an attention, probably future research will definitely look at that. And what are the odds of you getting that type of dream? But, you know, dream incubation has been, you know, something that people did throughout life. And it probably has some impact, but I can't see it being a lot because I personally, you know, would want them. <laughs> Why? Well, like, it's been so long since I had one. I want them all the time. And so <laughs> a lot of people are like that. And so there is something unique about these dreams. And maybe these ones are harder to incubate. I don't know. But that's something that research needs to look at moving forward. But if it was that easy to just incubate a dream of deceased, I probably would be out of a job. <laughs> well, it's it's so, I mean, I think it to your point and why you probably got so interested in this is that there's so much untapped territory. And it's, it's like the, the wilderness. Like if we can't know it and study it and learn about it, then how can we say definitively this is absolutely true and this is absolutely not if we haven't looked at and really dug into a lot of the research on it or lack of research and created research on yeah. it. And said so the issue with the lack of research is no one, there's no individual in the thanatology program, anyone who works with the, the, the grieving individual that knows that gets taught about these dreams. And so what the issue is that no one knows how to ask about these dreams. They feel uncomfortable asking about these types of dreams and how to answer them. So many people steer away from it. And even when it's brought up, they just change direction. And that's the sad part because it's about, allowing people to know that it's common and it's normal. Said so like the positive dreams, people sometimes love to share depending on the reactions of others. I've heard a lot of people who shared a positive dream that people put down and tried to change their meaning of it or tried to, let's say a non-spiritual person has a dream, very loving. They tell someone, they say, oh, that's, the, that's your loved one coming to visit you. And all of a sudden the walls come up and they don't want to share it anymore because that's not how they see it. They see it as a loving memory. Uh, and or just a loving moment together, but they don't call it a visitation. But yet that dream still changed them and then changed their grief and, and a lot. And so it's just understanding how we how we respond to a dream can impact if the person shares it again as we move forward. But also these negative dreams. So many people have issues and questions about these negative dreams of the deceased that they they want to share, but they don't feel that people will. Maybe people will judge them, saying it's just a reflection of their loss or that you know something's wrong with them. And so they keep it hidden and it's just opening up the conversation and saying that this is a normal part of the grieving process just to, to give people listening and understanding how common it is. 
Can you when just at, clearly define, is the negative dream like the mountain falling on you or is it like? The negative dream of the deceased. So this would be the okay. deceased dying again, chasing them, um, trying to harm them in some way. The, the deceased is trying to harm the person who's living. Harm the dreamer, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, okay. or even try, you know, we'll talk about some other negative ones. But yeah, so just in general, the how common these dreams are. So after spousal loss, uh, was it 86% of uh, the sample within the first year or two had at least one dream of the deceased. After pet loss, 78% had at least one dream within six months. And then after after a miscarriage, 58% had a dream within the first year. And so you start seeing the vastness. And then there's been studies on with children, 55% of children reported uh, dreaming of the deceased parent that died. And so you start seeing that if you really understand all the people you've come in contact who have suffered a loss and whatever that is, the chances are of them having a dream of them is pretty high. Mm. And so why aren't we talking about this? And I think that's the issue that I'm really trying to raise is that it needs to be part of the training program and anything that we're doing moving forward. Because when we start talking about now with mental health and everything, there's a dream category called, um, what's it called? Come join me. And so this is very interesting that people need to be aware of. So it's seen across cultures and yeah, it's seen across cultures and there's myths on what it means. So for the Torja people, if someone has a dream of the deceased trying to take them to the afterlife, it means the person is going to die soon. So there's a kernel of truth in that, and I'll tell you why. So when we did the research that actually related to high, the highest cases of trauma symptoms was these types of dreams. And so it's definitely reflective of something going on, very high trauma, which also could be related to high suicide ideation, be a part of that. One of the, a, a dream clinician um, mentioned that th- that could also be a possibility. And so this is that's why it's so very important. And I could understand with someone having one of these types of dreams, being highly traumatized, making a lot of errors, if you're in hunter gatherer society, and then falling ill and dying, or even killing themselves in general, because some of these dreams not only just try to drag the person to the afterlife. But some of them are actually kind of positive in nature where the deceased is trying to convince you that this is the best way for you to be together again. And so it's very loving in that sense, but it's actually trying to tell you to kill yourself. And so I can only understand the amount of people that actually probably have died because of a dream like that, that they never shared. And so that's why it's so important to start asking about these dreams. And I'm just trying to say that there's the vastness of all the different types of dreams that people are having and the complications when we start saying visitation or not, it's just like, there's so much land that we need to cover and so much mystery still in why we're having these dreams. But that type of dream that come join me is very, um, very important to understand for anyone working in the mental health field. Hmm. What, so you talked about, so that's considered a negative type of dream. Are there other dreams that people experience? You said there were different cultures. The other question I have, so are there other, and are there other dreams that people experience that are negative? And my other question is when people have dreams of after miscarriages, how does that entity show up? Is it like, I mean, if you have a miscarriage at, you know, five, six, eight, ten weeks, that's not a fully formed anything at that point. Mm -hmm. So how is it showing up in a dream? 
So I'll answer the first one. I guess the first question you had was about are there other kind of themes? And so I'll give an example of one. So a woman had a re repetitive dream of a individual who, uh, you know, what? I'm going I'm to share a different dream. So hmm. a child had had this dream where the deceased was being dragged by um, Barney Rubble from the Flintstones. I don't know if you remember him. <laughs> sure. My kids okay, have no yeah. idea who that okay. is, but I know. <laughs> okay. okay, so this is the importance of asking children about dreams. So this individual had this dream repetitive throughout her childhood. And I met her when she was like 70. <laughs> and so we started to talk. And what was interesting is she said, I still have this. I can remember in great detail. And I still don't understand why it was going on. And then like, I didn't know. I've never had, this is the first dream I, I had come to me with uh, Barney Rubble. But just understanding the time and understanding maybe what is pro what the, the child's trying to process. And I knew a little bit about children's grief. And so I asked her, you know, whether there anyone ever talked to her about the loss, about like what happened. And she said, no. I said, did you ever go to a funeral? She said, no. She said, one moment my sister was there. The next moment she was gone. Mm -hmm. And no one ever, ever talked to me about what happened. And I said, oh, this makes perfect sense then. I said, you know, like, what your mind's trying to do is give you an explanation of what happened. And so Barney Rebel stole your sister because no one else was giving you an explanation. So the mind tried to make one up. And I think you know, there's, there's something to learn about, you know, it's so hard for us to be in the unknown and the mind's so great as, as just putting an answer to something to relieve its own suffering, I guess. But the, the, the child has questions and this dream actually helps us understand the importance of talking about dream, these dreams with children because they could have, if someone had one of these types of dreams, you would know, oh, wait, maybe I haven't shared enough with her about where her sister, what happened to her sister um, and all that sort of stuff. So this is sort of like, so a lot of negative dreams really point to a block or an issue that's going on um, in waking life. So now so not dissimilar from, from a regular dream, from a non-grief right. Yeah, dream. like a regular nightmare or something that happens. But just because the deceased in it, you, you could know that it probably has to do with the grief in some mm -hmm. way. Gotcha. The loss. Okay. Right. When it comes to miscarriages, it's like, I find it fascinating. So it doesn't really depend on when the miscarriage was like how many weeks or whatever they can have multiple dreams. So negative dreams would be dreaming of the miscarriage again, mm -hmm. or in some exaggerated fashion, uh, they could also relive the news of it. Cause I, so I looked at not only the, the individual who had the miscarriage, but also the partner. And the dreams are very similar in the sense of the themes that are occurring. And then you could have these positive dreams. And these positive dreams are very interesting because they could be pregnant again, as they were, and like almost just continuing the, like what it would be like. But for the most part, a lot of these positive dreams are the child itself being in the imagery. And it could be just after birth. So like as a newborn, it could be one to two, or it could be, you know, even older. And I find that when, it, when they're older, what's interesting is the deceased speaks. And usually it's not about speaking in the other dreams, but when the deceased has spoken in other dreams, it's about relieving the guilt that the mother or the, the, the mother had um, of the death. And so I guess that's one of the the issues after miscarriage is the individual can really blame themselves and even blame their body in some way for not being able to carry it all the way through. And it can be very disheartening. And so the dream has, can actually help someone to feel that it wasn't their fault. And I think that's so important 
But these other like moments that people have, it's about, you know, showing it with family, being christened, just the first words of them saying, I love you, um, hugging or playing with a child. And so all these moments that they're not going to have again, but they're having it in the, in the dream. And it's just so loving and so peaceful. And what's amazing to me about these dreams is they've never actually seen the person before. Like these dreams right. are not based on memory. And so for me, like, what is going on? Well, my, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my other question is like, it, what if you didn't know the, the gender of the child and then how does that show up? And like, if you didn't know, and then you later find out, or are they what, what you thought they, I mean, we could go down a whole, whole rabbit hole it, with it, that one. It, it is. And I didn't, I didn't, look at like those are the interesting questions as you move forward is did you know about the gender prior to um the loss and then what gender was it in the dream and are people dreaming it the same way so is the partner and the the the, the mother dreaming about the same gender right so it'd be very mm-hmm. interesting to sort of look at that i don't know but they are dreaming of a gendered baby so hmm. that's fascinating in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and it could be what they hope the gender would have been like i don't know but at the end of the day, it's just they're unique types of dreams because no one's ever seen them before. And what's kind of interesting, too, is when you look at so like a part of these dreams is forming a continuing bond. Right. And when you look at I actually did some research on dreams before the miscarriage. So if people had dreams before the miscarriage of the baby, so they didn't know. So it was actually a pregnancy and um, people can have dreams of the child older when they're carrying and I think that's interesting and what's Mm. the function of that Mm -hmm. and I'm not I haven't compared really those two um, in the sense of you know the different themes but what you find is that there is some correlation between having one of those dreams and having a dream after the miscarriage but that they're also dreaming of a child that's not based on memory and I wonder how closely those dreams relate to the actual child that actually is born for those people who actually don't miscarry and then that's its own thing. Yeah. And then I think it becomes, do you create that reality, right? Like you, or, or is it, is it very interesting? I, I I look at it as what's the function, right? Cause I'm really curious about the function of these dreams. And one of the functions that actually was shown in one of the, one paper I, I just, cause there's not a lot of research on dreams in during birth anyways, or while someone's pregnant. But one of the things that someone did find was that these dreams during pregnancy, just like forget about miscarriage, just during pregnancy, actually help people form a bond and a deeper attachment to the child. And I think that is a very important thing. When we talk about survival and talk about holding bonds with people, you know, for our survival, the parents need to be invested in that child. And if these dreams are helping with that in some way, I think that's an amazing uh, thing because we see it afterwards, how the bond is continuing on after the person has died. And that actually helps with grief. And, you know, it's a, and we've, we've shown that. And so it's just really interesting to see the two different sides of it all. Wow. Well, I want to give some time for if anybody in the audience wants to ask a question. But in the meantime, it sounds like you could be busy for the rest of your life researching grief dreams. If people want to learn about what you're doing, where can they find you? And then if anybody, so they, while we're waiting, yeah. hang on, sorry. While we're waiting, if anybody in the fireside uh, room has a question, just go ahead and request to ask it. So for 
I developed a website called griefdreams.ca, and there you can learn a lot of information. I have common questions and also like when they show up in pop culture. On there, I also developed an online course. for It's nine and a half hours for people who want to actually learn a lot of, like, more about this topic. That's the place to go. Uh, I'm really trying to disseminate the research, and I feel that this is the best approach to be able to do it, especially now in the pandemic. So if you're interested, you know, check that out. I also do one-on-one consultations if people ever have any questions on this and want to actually work through it. But then you find me on like the podcast. I got the Grief Dreams podcast. We're almost at 200 episodes. That's 200 people who share their grief, loss, and also these dreams to get more of that qualitative data. And then Instagram, I'm on, and Clubhouse, at Grief Dreams. <laughs> All right. And does anybody have any questions right now? Because if not, we will wrap it up. Does not look like it. Okay. Well, thank you for those who tuned in. Oh, we have a question. My first question. From PJ Duke. Hi, PJ. Welcome to Grief Dreams with Dr. Joshua Black. And go ahead and you can unmute yourself pushing the little monkey at the bottom and go ahead and ask your question. Hi, can you hear me okay? Perfectly. Great. This is absolutely fascinating, especially to me, especially the universality, you know, of so many people having these dreams, those really high numbers and uh, the really high numbers, the percentages of people who have had dreams of their loved ones you know, after they're deceased. It, to me, that's kind of amazing. That fact is amazing in itself. But this makes me want to turn toward my dreams and remember more of them. So in, in your research, do you have methods, techniques to, you know, just exercise getting better at remembering dreams or, or maybe remembering the biggies? Thank you, PJ, for the question. Yeah, so there are ways that research has shown to increase your dream recall if you can remember them. So there's a 10% that just doesn't. So you got to understand in our culture, we downplay dreams a lot. And so you're basically retraining your mind that these dreams are valuable, that it's something you do want to remember. And so the best way to do that is to listen to other people's dreams, ask questions about them, listen to podcasts on dreams, start writing down any kind of dream you have. And what you're doing is you're telling yourself, these are important to me now. And so your mind will start giving you what you feel is important. And so that's the easiest way to do that. And especially if you already dream a little bit, you can really increase that to crazy amounts and crazy numbers very quickly. I know for me, I usually had about three to four dreams on average a week. I started doing this because, you know, I heard when I heard about it, I'm like, I want to try this. And then I started having three to four dreams a night. And I got so tired because I was waking up, writing them down and going back to bed. <laughs> I decided, wow. you know what, I'm done with this. I'm going, <laughs> I'm not going to write down any of my dreams, only the more important ones. And so now my recall of dreams have down, it's more like decreased, but I also don't value dreams as much as I did prior, not because they're not valuable, but because a lot of information I already learned. And so dreams for me was a, a great way to understand who I was, or who I am, and what I'm dealing with in waking life. And for me, the more I became more emotionally aware of how I currently felt, 
the less the dreams became important to me because it wasn't giving me anything new. Like I knew I was anxious. I'm working on it. And so the dream itself, unless it's like I'm trying to problem solve, it wasn't going to give me anything new. So it kind of decreased that way too. But like I said, if you're in the beginning stages of that, you're going to, you know, and you start writing them down and you valuing these, you're going to get more. And every dream has its own thing. I don't believe every dream needs interpretation. Like some people would say every dream is like a letter unopened. I say we have a lot of junk mail too, right? So there's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff that comes through that maybe just too disorganized or just, you know, it's really based on your, your waking day life that you can sort of see as based on the movie and it just doesn't mean much. But there's going to be dreams that are, you know, that are meaningful and to take the time to explore those. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. PJ, I'm going to go ahead and move you back to the audience. And if anybody else has a question... So we will wrap up. Thank you again, Josh, so much for your insights today. And I just, I really appreciate your time and I appreciate you dealing with me as new tech on this platform. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the time and to be able to just, you know, expand and and to let people know about what the research is, is finding because the worst thing you can do is, spend all this time and money on a, on a project and uh, something that's very meaningful to you. And it just stays in someone's drawer and no one finds out about it. So these opportunities mean the world to me because it means that the message is getting out. So I just want to thank you for having this platform. Absolutely. Have a great day. Thank you, everybody. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.